Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hello there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Make sure you head on over to the website and sign up for the newsletter. Also, connect with us on social media and join that travel club. I hope everyone is doing well and keeping well. I hope you're enjoying your families and your friends. And most importantly, taking care of your mind, your body, and your soul. It's so, so, so important right now to take care, especially of your mind and your body. Take a few minutes a day to just take deep breaths, to maybe meditate if you can. I know I'm not one for silent meditation, but what I do is I listen to music and that's how I meditate. That calms my mind, but doing something to take care of yourself. You know, we've launched a new arm and it is a new travel brand, Traveling While Black. It evolved from our more than 20 years experience in travel with Advantage International, which is our travel company. More than 10 years as a travel radio show. Remember, we were the traveling eye, now traveling culturati. And it's a desire to encourage travel amongst African Americans and to introduce and educate the world to black travelers. It's a community. You can visit TravelingWildBlack.com to sign up for our newsletter there. And you can also download the Traveling While Black Travelers Checklist. We also have Traveling While Black social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and a Facebook group as well. So you want to connect with us there and be a part of the community. There you can share, especially on social media, your travel experiences. We have entered into a new phase of our new normal, and that is reopening. And this looks very different across the country and the world as we're in different phases. However, one thing is certain, we're moving forward and into new territories, so to speak. And that includes travel, be it necessary or personal, for leisure or for business. This new normal means we must adapt and update our routines and habits, whether we travel near or far on an airplane, train, car, or rideshare. So let's put together a new traveler's checklist for our new normal. So if you're going to fly, have your boarding pass available in advance, print it at home, or put it on your mobile device. You can download the airline's mobile app and have it on your phone. This will eliminate the need to touch extra things like the kiosk when you arrive at the airport. The same is true at TSA. You can head straight there and bypass it if you already have your boarding pass. The germiest place is security and those bins. So sanitize your hands immediately after passing through airport security. Avoid the moving walkway or tram or anything that's going to require you to hold the rail unless, of course, you absolutely have to. This has an added benefit of getting in your steps if you avoid the moving walkway and just move your feet. Carry on if possible so your bag isn't handled by anyone but you. And if you do check your bag, you'll have to sanitize it as well. Remember to use your disinfecting wipes for surfaces you come in contact with, like the seat at the gate. 
the airlines have adopted their processes and procedures amidst the new normal by boarding from the back of the plane, and some are blocking the middle seat. But let's face it, social distancing on a plane is very challenging. You can ask the airline if the flight is full, and if you're uncomfortable, you can ask to be changed to another flight. And this is going to, of course, vary by airline. Also note that some airlines are providing and maintaining that face masks be worn. Once in your seat, open your air vent fully and aim it down and away from you. The window seat is recommended because you're away from the aisle and the constant contact of flyers as they walk down the aisle. Wipe down the germiest places. We're talking about the armrests, seat belt buckle, seat back monitor, and the tray table. And once you're settled in, use your hand sanitizer. What should you pack? Plastic bags, the small and the large ones to keep your supplies in, and for extras, for other moments that I'll explain a little bit later. Disposable gloves, depending on how long you'll be gone and what your activity is, remember gloves are on your hands and are not to be worn all day. Think of how doctors put on a new pair for each patient. Therefore, you'll need enough to change often and then hand sanitizer, disinfecting wipes, travel size Lysol or disinfecting spray. Masks, if you're traveling, it's best to have disposable masks. If you have a cloth mask, you'll need to be able to disinfect it after each use. So remember to wash your hands as soon as and as often as possible. That's for at least 20 seconds, getting the palms, backs of your hands and in between your fingers and under your nails. While my tips specifically address the airport, airplane, and at the hotel, that's where the plastic bag comes in for that remote, these practices can be applied when using any mode of transportation. Now, it may sound like a lot, but you're probably already doing a lot of these steps anyway. You're just taking them to new places. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. Executive producer Gene Harley is joining me today as we discuss and explore some travel trivia. It's always fun to look at travel trivia, the things you thought or maybe the things you never thought about. Hello, Gene, and welcome back. Hello, Jamon. Good to be here. Yes, it is. Now, trivia is something that you love. I used to really get angry when we played Trivial Pursuit because Gene's really good at that game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you love trivia. And, you know, I get these emails from Travel Trivia all the time. So, yeah, Travel Trivia, if you want to sign up for it, they give you some great information. So that's the premise of today's show, talking about some of those things that we may not think about, not only here in the United States, but abroad as well. So we're going to give you some knowledge today. (laughs) Obviously, we're going to give you the Q&A at the same time, because this is not an interactive show. We don't have call-ins, so you don't have to look up. We'll do maybe a little pause or something like that. But you know, one of the things here in the United States is taxes. That's something that drives us all crazy. Sales tax, property tax, income tax, and probably a whole bunch of other taxes. (laughs) Didn't think about asking that question, but what Mm -hmm. are the whole list of possible taxes in the United States? It's interesting because most of us think about two of them, income tax and sales tax, because those are the two largest ones for states. 
but you have property taxes, you have taxes on gasoline, you have taxes on cigarettes, everything. Yeah, individual goods where they want to tax you extra, mm-hmm. like bottled water, mm-hmm. plastic bags, But all the way like to the that. extreme of inheritance taxes and other things like that. Absolutely. So it's a big thing in the States to look out for where you live and take a look at the taxes involved in your state. But it's the sales tax that we see every single day or every time we make a purchase. So what are the five states without sales tax? You have a guess at it or stab at it, Gene? Well, the one that I knew of already is close by is Delaware, because a lot of people in my region of the East Coast would actually go to Delaware to purchase different items. Well, yeah. And they don't have a corporate sales tax. They don't have different ones. And corporation is done there for that reason. Yeah, and when we lived in the Washington, D.C. area, there was a difference in tax between D.C. and Maryland and Virginia. Virginia, yes. And it's a savings. It's quite a bit. 4.55 to 9.5% at one point, and that's quite a difference when you're buying substantial items. Well, and when we moved to Chicago, we had a bit of a shock. A bit of a shock. With (laughs) the, well, it was 9% when we moved here, nine and a quarter. And we thought, wow, almost 10%. Well, guess what? It's now more than 10%. Mm -hmm. And certain items are taxed very heavily, and many people drive across the border into Indiana because the gasoline tax is much less in Indiana than it is in Illinois. But, you know, you look at the list, and it's some interesting states. I don't know how many people picked up on, but Alaska hits the list. Yes, Alaska is one of the only two states, not only without sales tax, but without income tax. So you don't pay income tax in Alaska as well. But while there's no sales tax at the state level, local governments throughout Alaska, they have the right to impose different taxes at their own discretion in different areas. But I like that, no sales tax or no income tax. And that's interesting because you can be in Genoa or Fairbanks, you're sitting in a different situation on your tax rate base there. Anchorage and Fairbanks, no sales tax. Genoa, sales tax. So that's interesting there. Uh, Delaware, of course, I was right on that one, but Delaware is known as a tax haven for a lot of different reasons, right? It certainly is. And it's one of the smallest states. It's actually the second smallest state in the United States. So it is interesting, but unlike Alaska, Delaware makes up for the lack of sales tax by imposing a fairly high income tax. So they're not without income tax, but they do Mm -hmm. not impose the sales tax. And they also have a very high excise tax, taxes that are imposed on specific items or types of goods and services or activities. So they're getting you one way or another. So think about gas or alcohol or cigarettes, things like that. Another interesting one is Montana, because Montana, although it's known as the Treasury State, it's based on nothing that has to do with local taxes. It's based on things for mining industry and also on taxes for visitors, really, people coming into the state. Yeah. And I tell you something, kind of a sidebar here. We talked about the tax here in Chicago and Illinois. If you come to Chicago and you're a visitor and you show a driver's license or you can show that you don't live here, they will give you, in some cases, a discount or even the tax off. It really depends. New Hampshire is one. Along with Alaska, New Hampshire is the other of the two states with no sales tax or income tax. Yes, but they get you on property taxes there. They have the third highest property taxes in the United States. Yeah, see, they'll get you one way or another. And Oregon is on the list. The most populous state on this particular list, they do not charge sales tax. 
However, again, excise taxes like certain items that you buy, tobacco, alcohol, and guess what? Phone services. Yeah. <laughs> Telecommunications. <laughs> They're just really living it up large on taxes when it comes to mobile telephones now. Yeah. Now, what about the world's longest river? What do you uh, think is the world's longest river? This is one that is debatable, but everyone has this as a trivia question, and I keep going with Amazon. Well, it isn't. It is the Nile. As of today. <laughs> As of today, right. But you know what? There are different shapes and there's different ways in which they're measured. So I think that's why in some lists you may think Amazon versus the Nile. And out of the people who responded, majority of the people, it was split almost evenly between Nile and Amazon. And then, of course, some people thought Mississippi or the Yangtze River in, in China. China. But and no, it's the Nile River that flows 4,132 miles through 11 countries in northeastern Africa. So we have rivers in China, Siberia and Russia, the United States, then in the central region of South America and Egypt, but also goes down through Sudan and other countries. These are the longest rivers in the world. To give you a perspective, any one of them pretty much except for the Mississippi River, can go all the way across the United States, and we'd have a river crossway between the Atlantic and the Pacific. Yeah, and I'm going to mm -hmm. quickly go through this next one, which is what are the first things that first-time visitors to the United States were shocked by? Oh, now, it's easy. second nature to us, but what do you think is on the top of the list? Well, my top of the list, because I deal with this all the time, is the price you see is not the price you pay. Yes, and it's not and only the sales tax. we have to explain that to Americans because we don't understand. Right, not only the sales tax, but mm -hmm. the gratuity as well. So when you go to a lot of other countries, most other countries, the price you see is the price you pay. You don't pay anything different when you get to the register. A dollar or, is a dollar. Exactly. <laughs> so they'd have taxes, yes. but it's all built into the price. So they don't quote you the price plus taxes. They yes, don't sir. quote you the price plus gratuity. Mm -hmm. So what you see is what you get. And that throws a lot of people off. And it's hard to really budget because you're looking at the menu primarily with food and even other purchases with sales tax, but you're looking at the menu thinking it's $20. But then guess what? And you then when it comes to gratuity, it's usually built in also in a lot of countries around the world. So you have to build in another 10%, which becomes very confusing for people when you're trying to split things among other people and you have a budget. Yeah. Now, one thing is very interesting are bathroom stalls. Oh, and most goodness. other places, when you go to a public toilet, yes. the stalls are all the way to the floor. Ceiling so you can't floor. see underneath, they nor can you see between, between the crack them. because mm -hmm. that bothers me. And it bothers me on both sides when I'm in the stall as well as when I'm waiting. Because when you're waiting in line, you can see through the stall. And I'm like trying to look up and look down. I, I don't want to see the person in there. But yeah, that's a very interesting thing. And just real quick, you can't get anywhere around the United States if you don't drive. The mass transit system of trains, planes, and automobiles is especially bus systems in other countries are so complete they get lost when they get here because people just can't get everywhere because you can't walk from place to place in the states but a real big one is the shock of when you're in the grocery store itself because our stores are massive people think americans are a bit odd especially <laughs> when they turn on our television commercials the only other place i saw a lot of commercials was in japan yes 
Japan played a lot of they commercials. They like commercials. Yeah, mm-hmm. but otherwise, when you go other places, you don't see many commercials on television. And that's a number of the odd things that people see when they come to the United States. But you know what? When Americans go to the United Kingdom, it's kind of a lot of odd things we believe about them that really aren't true. Yeah, it really is. For example, we think that they're big tea drinkers, mm-hmm. but time has really changed that. They are not only big coffee drinkers, but hot chocolate is an old British luxury. Sure. Ever since <laughs> Columbus came back and the Tudor, reign of the Tudors, Queen Elizabeth I had no teeth because she loved hot chocolate and sugar so much. Yeah. Well, not that, the present Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> Don't those cards and letters yeah, not yeah. coming in. Queen Elizabeth I from the 16th century. Surfing is a popular British sport. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) Very short season. Yeah. The third Tuesday in August is the surfing season in Great Britain. Yeah, but it's actually that they like to travel to surf as well. But American eggs are illegal in the United Kingdom. Why would American eggs be illegal in the United Kingdom? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but number one is American eggs in the processing, we use a cleaning formula to make our eggs preserve and clean them properly. And if it's not washed off, a lot of people in foreign countries do not want to consume our eggs. Right. And they say it's because we wash our eggs and you're not supposed to just wash eggs. But the reason we're washing the eggs is, as you said, Mm -hmm. there's a chemical on there. So we wash our eggs. Um, The Buckingham Palace is totally self contained. What do we mean by that? Similar to the Vatican City is that it has everything it needs, police station, hospital, post office. It has everything they need so that the royals don't have to go where the commoners go. And you gave the best analogy. It makes a lot of sense to an American who's been to the Vatican City. It is totally self-contained, 800 permanent living people, a castle of 775 plus rooms, Everything you can think of from hospital to post office in there. I remember reading in Becoming Michelle Obama that she was fascinated because she thought the White House was enormous at 175 (laughs) rooms. And she got the Buckingham Palace and they kept walking and walking. It's enormous. You could pick, I think, 10 White Houses in Buckingham Palace. Yeah. Now, you know something else that the Queen does? The Queen sends birthday cards to the citizens Mm -hmm. of the United Kingdom. Over 50,000 recipients annually are honored with a special birthday and anniversary celebration and card from Queen Elizabeth. And it's a tradition that began in 1917. Now, here's something I really wanted to talk about. And the trivia is why. First of all, have you recognized this? And if you have recognized it, do you know why? And that is the map. The map of the world Mm -hmm. is distorted. Countries are either bigger or smaller than what we see on the map. They're in different places. It's just not accurate. But there's a reason it's not Mm -hmm. accurate. Why is that? Well, it's because you are trying to look at a round item that is now stretched out flat and pasting it all together. And if you've ever cut up a ball or anything else that's round, you understand it's virtually impossible. That's reason number one. It was designed in the 16th century by a Flemish cartographer named Mercator. And he basically needed to design something that showed navigational lines, what we call the longitude and latitude, in a way that people could do it. Now, that's the short original answer. Number two, though, is 
you can go ahead and tell them your thought on why certain countries are bigger than others. Well, it's who ruled the world, basically. And they wanted their territory and their land to look bigger or to minimize other lands so as not to give credential to other nations. Or perforation. Yeah, exactly. They wanted to look bigger. <laughs> and, you know, the thought can be, number one, we rule. Number two, the further you go north on a really properly set up map, the countries in the northern hemisphere get smaller. You can't show roads. You can't show cities. You can't show anything. So you end up with this distorted view. And I like that to a certain extent, because if you want to believe that it's the ruling party, then why the heck is Iceland 10 times bigger than it should be? It's only done that way because it is so far north for it to look the way it needs to on a flat map, you have to make it large. But the country that's hurt the most is Africa. The right. continent that's hurt right. the most and is I th Africa. So my point of what I said isn't the reason for the entire map, but for some other reasons. Because, yeah, let's talk about Africa. Africa is much bigger than you think or how it looks on the map. Yes. So if you look at most maps, Canada looks like this massive, expansive land. And it dwarfs a lot of other countries, even whole continents. Mm -hmm. And certainly you can fit Canada inside Africa. Three times or Exactly. More. Especially since the northernmost part of Canada extends upward into what they call the spray of islands, giving it a far reach into the Arctic Ocean. So in reality, Africa is much, much larger than Canada. And yeah, as you said, it'll fit three times <laughs> in Africa. Most of the land masses in the world can fit into Africa itself. I mean, everything is distorted, right down to the fact that when we look at a map of Africa, we believe all of Africa is in the Southern Hemisphere. A lot of Africa is in the Northern Hemisphere. Yes, the majority is in the Southern Hemisphere, but that's because it's the largest singular continent on the Earth, on the planet. And the continent's largest country, Algeria, has a landmass of 919,595 square miles. So maybe part of the trivia should be how many countries are there on the continent of Africa? Mm-hmm. 54. 54. Yes. That's yes, right. Yes. You find different things. It says 52, but it is 54. Mm -hmm. And Africa, or most of Africa, isn't in the Southern Hemisphere. So again, this shows you this distorted view. Mexico, if you look at the map, is bigger than Alaska. But on the map, Alaska looks bigger than Mexico. Right. As we talked about with Iceland. Yeah. Greenland is enormous. Yeah. Uh, Iceland is much bigger than it should be, but Greenland looks like it's the same size of many of the larger countries like the United States, and that's not true. Yeah, so and pull I out your map and you can see what we're And I said the about. opposite. Mexico is bigger than Alaska, yes, but Mexico the map is. makes it look like it's, no, it's, it's, it's smaller. I the think further, I said it that way. But <laughs> the, the further north you go, the more the distortion has to take effect because it is a round, round surface round. and you're trying to make it flat. Yeah. And there's not really a way to do it. But when you do it to scale, it just becomes not readable because you can't tell the difference between London and Essex. Or you can't tell the difference between Stockholm and Denmark because they are just too close together. Yeah. And then the last thing is that North Pole really got distorted because of the map or the globe or the shape of it and trying to fit everything into it. So North Pole got very much distorted. And so to a certain extent did the South Pole. And the North Pole is nothing but ice and water most of the time anyway. So the landmass is really not that important, whereas the South Pole 
is a landmass. So showing it in a distorted view is just something that doesn't make sense. Right. Antarctica is not actually as large as it appears. (laughs) (laughs) Here's one that used to get me growing up. And it took me, even though I was told I then forgot it and, and I kept coming back to it. And you're like, what is the difference between Holland and the Netherlands because the people are from Holland but they're called something else and then it's the Netherlands so it's like which one is it is it the Netherlands or is it Holland I guess the best analogy for Americans and you can tell them why is the same thing is that we call a region North America or South America so when you say Denmark versus Holland, the real reason is? Well, the real reason is that it's the Netherlands. The Netherlands is the country as a whole. And Holland is the name of two provinces. Mm-hmm. And those two provinces together have the most population. So it's Holland, only because of population. Sure. But there are actually 12 administrative provinces of the Netherlands. But then they confused us even more. And they say that the citizens are Dutch. Dutch. (laughs) So why are the citizens called Dutch and not Hollanders or Netherlanders? Netherlanders. Do you want to be called Netherlanders? (laughs) Yes, we'll go with Dutch. And I think it goes back to the time of the explorers and the different nations that ruled back 400, 500 years ago. They were called the Dutch. It's a Germanic period and Yeah, as Jean said, they call them the Dutch from the 15th century, but uh, yeah, (laughs) that always confused me. Yes, and it gives you something in a trivial battle with your friends to talk about and argue over. But if you visualize, if you are in Chicago, you are part of Illinois and the United States. So that's what we're talking about. Yeah, now let's have a little bit of fun. Mm -hmm. In which country... Are speeding ticket fines determined by the offender's income? Now, you're either going to love or hate that, depending on what kind of income you have. But I'll give you some ones to think about. Australia, Denmark, Sweden, or Finland. So of those four, which country do you think you have to pay a speeding ticket fine based on your income? I always knew it would have to be one of the ones in the northern region. So I was thinking Sweden, but I bet you it's Finland. It is Finland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're a millionaire, I wonder what that percentage is. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a millionaire, you should drive up in a Ugo or something from about 20, 30 years ago and hide your checkbook as you come through. They call it a day fine, and it considers the speeder's daily disposable income, and that's about half of what a person's daily salary is. So if you're driving 30 miles, an hour or let's say 30 kilometers per hour they were there over the speed limit your fine will be higher than say 10 kilometers over so yeah very very interesting Mm -hmm. and then the last one which United States state drinks most wine per capita I would have never gotten this one now, the one I don't drink. Well, you don't drink, but we have wine country here, which is California. So one would automatically assume that it's California. But no, this state wasn't even in my top five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Idaho, folks. <laughs> Idahoans. <laughs> top any other state with the largest 
consumers of wine per capita. Per capita. On average, there you go. they drank 1.19 gallons per person in 2016, according to a study that was done by the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism that covered state sales of alcohol from 1977 to 2016. Well, go ahead, Idaho. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Idaho. I would never have thought of Idaho and wine consumption in the same sentence. I don't even think of Idaho and wine in the same <laughs> sentence. But go ahead, Idaho. You are the wine connoisseurs, the sommeliers of the United States. <laughs> I said it was the last one. But one really quick one. The only major United States city founded by a woman. Only one. Mm-hmm. And it is? It's Miami. Miami. Miami is the only U.S. major city that was founded by a woman. Her name was Julia DeForest Tuttle, and she's known as the mother of Miami. Most people from South Florida would be the ones to get that right away because she got the railroad down there and created Miami. Go for it, girl. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. We're moving forward and into new territories, so to speak. And that includes travel be it necessary or personal, for leisure or for business. This new normal means we must adapt and update our routines and habits, whether we travel near or far on an airplane, train, car, or rideshare. So let's put together a new traveler's checklist for our new normal. So if you're going to fly, Have your boarding pass available in advance, print it at home, or put it on your mobile device. You can download the airline's mobile app and have it on your phone. This will eliminate the need to touch extra things like the kiosk when you arrive at the airport. The same is true at TSA. You can head straight there and bypass it if you already have your boarding pass. The germiest place is security and those bins. So sanitize your hands immediately after passing through airport security. Avoid the moving walkway or tram or anything that's going to require you to hold the rail unless, of course, you absolutely have to. This has an added benefit of getting in your steps if you avoid the moving walkway and just move your feet. Carry on if possible so your bag isn't handled by anyone but you. And if you do check your bag, you'll have to sanitize it as well. Remember to use your disinfecting wipes for surfaces you come in contact with, like the seat at the gate. The airlines have adopted their processes and procedures amidst the new normal by boarding from the back of the plane, and some are blocking the middle seat. But let's face it, social distancing on a plane is very challenging. You can ask the airline if the flight is full, and if you're uncomfortable, you can ask to be changed to another flight. This is going to, of course, vary by airline. Also note that some airlines are providing and maintaining that face masks be worn. Once in your seat, open your air vent fully and aim it down and away from you. The window seat is recommended because you're away from the aisle and the constant contact of flyers as they walk down the aisle. Wipe down the germiest places. We're talking about the armrests, seat belt buckle, seat back monitor, and the tray table. And once you're settled in, use your hand sanitizer. What should you pack? Plastic bags, 
the small and the large ones to keep your supplies in, and for extras for other moments that I'll explain a little bit later. Disposable gloves, depending on how long you'll be gone and what your activity is, remember gloves are on your hands and are not to be worn all day. Think of how doctors put on a new pair for each patient. Therefore, you'll need enough to change often and then hand sanitizer, disinfecting wipes, travel size Lysol or disinfecting spray. Masks, if you're traveling, it's best to have disposable masks. If you have a cloth mask, you'll need to be able to disinfect it after each use. So remember to wash your hands as soon as and as often as possible. That's for at least 20 seconds, getting the palms, backs of your hands and in between your fingers and under your nails. While my tips specifically address the airport, airplane, and at the hotel, that's where the plastic bag comes in for that remote, these practices can be applied when using any mode of transportation. Now, it may sound like a lot, but you're probably already doing a lot of these steps anyway. You're just taking them to new places. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website is travelingculturati.com. So go ahead and check it out. And while you're there, make sure you follow us on social media and join that travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report. And today we're traveling to Brazil, a country in South America that occupies half the continent's landmass, and it's the fifth largest country in the world. I bet you didn't know that. Joining me to tell us all about it is Carlos Silva, the owner of Opco Tours and Events, a DMC or destination management company for Brazil and South America. Hello, Carlos, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hi, Javon. It's, it's very nice to talk to you. Likewise. So, are you a Brazilian or are you just living in Brazil? No, I, I'm a real Brazilian. I was born in Brazil from Brazilian parents. I live in Rio, but my family, my father's family, came from the Northeast. Uh, Bahia, and my mother's family came from Minas Gerais, which is more the countryside, more uh, land. I just love the language, and I love the Brazilian Portuguese. It sounds so much more melodic than the Portuguese Portuguese. <laughs> well, I, I like the Portuguese Portuguese, too, because it's kind of different for me, but I have to tell you, Brazilian Portuguese is really very melodic. And if you travel around the country, you're going to see the different nuances that the language makes. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah, well, you know, when you talk about the size of Brazil, the landmass, and I think a lot of us don't really pay much attention that it is the fifth largest country in the world. And we think of Rio, but Brazil is so much more than Rio. 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, if you think about Brazil from the extreme north to the extreme south, it's from Oyapoque to Chuí. And we are talking about 6,000 kilometers. That might be 4,000 miles. It's a huge country. And I'm sure with such a huge country, its culture is very represented and very diverse and just a plethora of different cultural aesthetics. It is indeed very diverse. This is amazing. Due to my business, due to my job, I travel a lot through the country and I I have a chance of seeing it. I was in the Amazon in in March, and this is this is another country like we used to say because the Indians they have their their, their culture very strong and they like to represent that, and that's very beautiful. If you go to Bahia, you have the African Brazilian, the African influence, which is very strong there. The food, the smell of food in the streets. If you come to Rio, that's more relaxed, kind of a, a mix to, of of say in the U.S. between California and Miami. And if you go to Sao Paulo, that's where people work. Ah. If you go to South Brazil, you're going to start seeing the uh, European influence. It's a very diverse country. Yes, it is. When you speak of Bahia and the African diaspora there, I think, again, another nice piece of information is that Brazil has the largest number of Africans outside of Africa than any other country. You can see that in Bahia very strongly. But interesting, I found that out about two years ago. In Rio, in the north part of Rio, there's a place called Madureira, which is the birth of a couple of famous samba schools. And you can see very strong African influence in the hardest samba, you know, in the sororities. It's a very nice place to visit if you have a chance of coming to Rio. Ah, I've never heard of that part. Nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about it. Probably I was the first one in the tourist business to see that cultural manifestation and kind of how can we arrange that to offer to our clients? Ah, very nice. So what is the name of the city or town again? It's a district. It's called Madureira. M-A-D-U-D-E. R.A. Madureira. Madureira. Fantastic. Uh, Portela Samba School. Portela Samba School comes from Madureira. Ah, okay. And I'm very uh, familiar Império with the samba. Serrano. Império Serrano comes from Madureira. Tradição comes from Madureira. So these are three major samba schools in Rio that comes from Madureira. Let's talk about those defining cultural aspects of Brazil. What would you say are the top three? Wow. The food the music for sure. I could say writing because I think about the telenovelas that go all over the world. Yes, they do. Football. (laughs) Yes, how can you forget about sports and and, and football? (laughs) So let's talk about the music. What is the music of Brazil? The most famous music of Brazil is samba, but we have bossa nova. And apart from bossa nova, we also have chorinho which is a mix of samba and jazz. It it is beautiful, it is amazing. We have the new funk carioca, which is a kind of a rap mix of samba. There are some interesting things in Brazil, the Brazilian country music, which is tended to be similar to the American country music, but took the Brazilian way and deviated. It's also very interesting and very famous in Brazil. And you call it funk samba? We call it funk carioca. 
karaoke is the one that is born in Rio. So if you live in Rio, you are a karaoke. And the funk that was born in Rio is called funk karaoke or karaoke funk. Is the dance as distinctive as the music? Yes, it is because it has a very strong beat. And this is interesting. I'm 55, so I've seen a lot in terms of music and dance and cultural changes. And it's very curious the way they dance. But I have also seen the same thing in some American clips. So I believe that this is a new way of dancing coming to the world, where you have strong movements with your body, you know. I am a huge, huge foodie. So what about the food of Brazil? I think the one we know most is feijoada. And, uh, yeah, feijoada is great. That's right. Yeah. We have we have a couple of them. So we have feijoada, which is more from Rio, Sao Paulo area, from the southeast of Brazil. We have feijão tropeiro, which is also made with black beans, but fried with manioc flour, which is more a gaúcho or countryside food. In the northeast, we have bobo uh, de camarão, which is a great shrimp stew. You have vatapá, you have pato no tucupi, you have the Amazon fishes. We have lots of good things in Brazil. Food is great. Yeah, it's a great experience. Well, I have eaten my way through at least Rio and Bahia several times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good thing to do. <laughs> and you can't talk about the food without talking about the national drink. Yeah, the caipirinha. Caipirinha was first made with lime. Now there's caipirinha with everything. Yeah, I've had passion fruit caipirinha there, which yeah, is also delicious. Fruit. It's great. Kiwi caipirinha is also great. Now, what about family life? Because, uh, you know, a culture is always defined by its family life. Brazil is actually a traditional country, yeah? Most of the people are supposed to be or said to be Catholic. We have the religious syncretism, the mix with the African religions, which is our candomblé and umbanda, which is also very nice. But the average Brazilian, he wants to get married, raise the family, raise the kids, and have his simple life. And that's interesting because I've traveled the world in my job, as I said, and it is like the same thing that everyone wants. Brazil is a very traditional country in terms of family, but interesting is that nowadays with the new movements, you start to see gay families, which is also okay. And you start also to see more and more people that are single and want to be single. So the Brazilian traditional family The people, they are getting much more open-minded than, I would say, for 20 years. Well, progression is always good. And again, as we add on each culture into each generation, adding on to the culture, we change what that dynamic looks like. And as we say here, the new normal. So then it becomes normalized and we grow. But you're right. I think that fundamentally... Around the globe, we all just want to take care of our families. And that yeah. may look a little different from here and there, but that's the fundamental basic of family. Before we go, I want to talk about the favelas because I took a favela tour the last time I was there. And I was amazed. And I think that if you get off that beaten path and really get a chance to experience that, it will change your mind. Yeah, you shouldn't skip a visit to a favela. That's another thing that changed with times because favela is a very beautiful name. And I use the name myself, but lots of people don't like it and they prefer community. 
<laughs> of course, favela is a community, but favela is a Brazilian name, and it represents something. You know, Javon, I've been to a favela maybe the first time in my life 15 years ago, one five, 15 years ago. And as a normal carioca, you hardly go to a favela because it is dangerous, because whatever fake they want to say, they eat small children. And once I started discovering the favelas, these are normal villages like 50 years ago, just like it was in the first house that I lived that I can remember when I was born. Just like in a small town, everybody knows everybody. You hardly have privacy, but it helps because people are in need and they help each other. And they have the most beautiful cultural expressions nowadays come from the favela. They have such a richness in culture and they are very nice people. They are very nice people. The only problem is that they are forgotten by the state because they tend not to be consumers, uh, specialists in the government, imagine, and the government doesn't give them any attention. So crime jumps in and crime is king. It is changing, but we still have a hard work to do. The good thing is that there are some favelas nowadays where you can go and nice pubs, nice bars, nice clubs and hostels popping up in the favelas. Unfortunately, our time is up. Brazil, the largest country in South America and the fifth largest country in the world, we just can't put it all into this short segment. (laughs) But what would you like to leave us with today? Brazil is a great country. We have our problems, for sure. Political problems nowadays, it's going to pass, just like COVID is going to pass. And it makes lots of sense to come see this diverse culture, this nice people, and this is affordable, and that's not so far away. It is a beautiful country. Thank you, Carlos Silva from Opco Tours, and your website is opcotours.com. That's O-P-C-O tours.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm sure I'd like to have you back so we can explore a little bit more about Brazilian culture and really dive in a little deeper. It's going to be a pleasure, Javon. Thank you. Thank Thank you for the invitation. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.